marketing, advertising, and sometimes a conversation, this is the Brand Boost Podcast. <laughs> Jed, welcome to the new and improved reinvigorated marketing mashup on the Brand Boost Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Ben. I, I love... <laughs> I love the fact that we're going to be doing this every week. Uh, I loved the last mashup we did. Uh, I'm really honored to that you invited me to be part of the Brand Boost podcast and uh, really excited about some of the topics we're going to talk about today. You know, this was uh, so Jed was on an earlier for those listeners that have heard the podcast before. Jed and I did a marketing update when I was doing a Friday. Every Friday, we'd have a marketing update. And Jed and I talked talk a little bit about uh, what did we talk? And I, I totally forgot what the episode was now. But anyway, it doesn't even matter what the episode was. <laughs> we had we've done this before, and we started talking again. And we said, you know what? We really should do this every week, and we should do it live because hey, why not do it live? So for those of you listening to the podcast, this is a live recorded episode the day before you are hearing it. Uh, if you want to hear it or see it live, we are live on Blab every. Thursday. And for those of you watching, this podcast is released every Friday morning, 4 a.m. So if you miss this, that's where we'll be. I think we have morning commute. Well, this is this is a good morning commute. And I think we have some good topics to talk about today. But first, before we jump into that, let's talk a little bit about the Panthers, because you are a North Carolinian, right? Is that how it says? North Carolinian? Carolinian, Yeah, that's me. I I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, so I, I do have some some Patriot blood in me, but I am a Panthers fan. I'm a little bit disappointed in um, in the reactions from Cam after the game. That was kind of pathetic. Um, I'm also a fan. Um, you know, I I I got to tell you, I liked the I liked how the Broncos came back from their midseason kind of swoon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I was I was happy to see both the Panthers and the Broncos a- in the Super Bowl. I-, I wasn't happy that the Panthers didn't win, but it was fun to watch because I like both teams. I was cheering for the Panthers for the record, um, but I, I'm sorry that that happened. Anyway, Cam gave marketers a lot to blog about, which is very true. He did. Yep. All right, let's jump into the meat of some of our – content or let's just let's just jump in i know you had something you really want to talk about that you mentioned we'll start with you and then we'll go through a couple of our other topics for the day take it away all right yeah uh so i was listening to cnbc this morning like i do most mornings and uh they had twitter ceo adam bain on there and uh if you if you know jim kramer on on cnbc this is a guy that doesn't pull any punches when he's doing an interview. And he was given uh, Bain a, a whole mess of, uh, of really heated questions like, where, where are you going to grow? How are you going to grow Twitter? And the guy um, was coming back with, we're, we feel confident in what Twitter's doing. We feel confident in our growth. And right now, they're not really growing that much at all. So he really avoided a bunch of those questions, but it was interesting to me to listen to him lay out their financial strategy in terms of how they're going to make money going forward. And uh, this two prong, actually, he he described it as a three prong strategy of having 
on-platform ads and also data contracts. So the, the underlying data that they collect from their users, they provide a funnel for large companies and, and other uh, organizations to purchase contracts to access that data. And they use it for all number of things. The example he gave was customer service organizations are able to use it to um, stay in touch better with, with their customers. For example, the airlines, when you have a problem with a flight, they're actually paying to have access to what they call the fire hose funnel of, of live tweets coming through. So they can, um, companies like American Airlines, Delta, they, they pay to have uh, a private API to access all of that um, live data as, as soon as it's getting tweeted. Um, and so that's a revenue stream for them. But he also mentioned that they're going to be selling, and they just turned this on apparently, ads on platforms where Twitter users are not logged in. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know what really that means, but he was really excited about it and was was sharing that this is going to be contributing to to their revenues uh, going forward. Um, Jen Mitch asked in the notes, is having that fire hose any different than a monitoring platform like Radian 6? Yes, it is. You're, you're getting access uh, to a lot more data, um, not just the tweets, but the underlying data on who is tweeting. Um, and I believe you also have access to some additional data that, that lets you kind of identify and tag your customers. Um, but uh I'll get more information, Jen. That's a great question. I'll see if I can get more information. We'll share that in the future. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about these Twitter ads for the platform for logged out users. So what they're talking about is non-Twitter users. So they're they're marketing to businesses now that you can sell ads on Twitter to non-Twitter users. I'm waiting to hear more on that too. So he didn't really go into any details there, but uh, that'll be something interesting for us to watch going forward and to see how that logged out experience is for non-Twitter users or for Twitter users who who aren't logged into the platform. Yeah, but it, I mean, so here's the thing: non-Twitter, you know, non-logged in users isn't doesn't Facebook do the same thing already? Don't we have access? Doesn't Facebook? In their ads network, don't we already have ads coming from them? When you sign up and you, when you when you put together Facebook ads, can't you deliver already to anyone on their ads network? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, on I their be, network. I could be now, totally wrong. Facebook, but yeah, Facebook, but Facebook has an ad network, and Twitter Twitter does not have an ad network. They don't. What boggles my mind is how Twitter doesn't have this already. So I, I'm sitting yeah, here thinking, so, like you're ta- you're saying all this stuff, and and again, this is not you, Jed. But you're saying all this, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, Twitter, way to, way to enter 2016. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. We've already seen this with Facebook. And, and I hate to say this because Facebook's like the big you know, elephant in the room. They are the ones that everyone loves to beat on, but at the same time, you can't beat them either. And here it is. Twitter's trying to become more like Facebook, right? Um, and, and I well, that's the that's the appearance, right? They would not say that at all. They would say we're we are leveraging the the uniqueness of our platform. And and Adam mentioned several times in his interview um, how they're dedicated to live. Twitter is dedicated to live, 
And that was kind of a key word that he used to kind of encompass both the Periscope aspect of what Twitter is doing, right? And the fact that live events and live programming are, are most watched in, in companion with the Twitter platform. So if you're at a live event, you don't typically say, oh, let me Facebook this out to my friends. You say, I'm going to tweet this, right? So, so they're focusing on the live integration on integrating with live events, uh, taking advantage of live opportunities, and of course, Periscope, which is the live streaming. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, so that's their focus. Like- Go ahead. And, and so the good segue for that is my question that I wanted to ask him during the interview was, if you're dedicated and focused on live, what's with this algorithm in the news feed? See, I think, um, we, I think we disagree because I think the algorithm is, gonna, is going to benefit and it's going to put a lot more weight on the content that is live and engaging in the moment. Let's just take the Super Bowl, for example, because, hey, why not? I'm going to. I'm just going to keep using the Super Bowl. Um, if everybody's talking about the the one tweet that was sent by some Charlotte beat writer or whatever it might be, questioning the catch in the first quarter, oh, that was a catch. Kotri made the catch, and everybody's kind of talking about that. It's clearly it's an in-the-moment. It is Now, I, I guess it can go both ways because it doesn't necessarily have to be an in-the-moment tweet. It could be something that was just a really good tweet or it was a really good piece of content, so people are continually sharing it over and over. Personally, I don't, I don't like it just because it takes away from, not necessarily real time, but it takes away from chronological. And, and us as marketers, we're sitting here going, I just figured out how to push out my client's content throughout the day <laughs> you know, to make it yeah. be seen by everybody, and now here it is. It's just... It's it's good and bad. It's going to put a focus I, I on good content. Agree, yeah. It's a fo- there's a focus on good content. All right. It what scares me is that we're you know ten thousand characters. There's all these changes, and it's like, can they pick one, see if it works, test it out, then move on to the next thing? Stop just loading all of these things up at once. To me, that's the whole throw shit up against the wall, see what sticks. And then well, we'll it's clear it's clear they're under pressure as a public company now, which I think was a big, big mistake for them because now they're as a public company they're under a lot of pressure to grow, which means they need to find new users, which means they need to figure out why more people aren't getting on the platform. I think Brian Fanzo makes a good point: is that new users really don't understand the Twitter platform, and no, uh, I think it's I think the algorithm. Um, in the feed to show relevant tweets to new users will make a lot of sense. And I think to real power users or people who have been on the platform a while, um, it may not have any impact at all. For instance, I don't ever look at my home feed, right? The, the feed that you get when you just log in. I'm always looking at lists or at notifications. Um, so rarely do I ever look at my primary feed. So it won't probably as a user won't even impact me. So I think it is beneficial to the new user. But again, I, I hate taking away the focus from um, your core user, your core person on the platform to try, you know, for financial reasons to grow users. And the stockholders, 
are comparing Twitter to Facebook. It's not the same thing at all. And you're not going to have billions and billions of users on Twitter. It's just not going to happen. So, um, but we've gone, <laughs> as, as I figured we would, we've gone into this a little, we've run a little long on this and we've got some of the things we want to talk about. So let's, Let's segue to the next topic. Yeah, um, I mean the next the, the next news for in in the social media world this that happened really this week or I think it was was it this week yeah earlier this week uh, February eighth I believe was Instagram at finally adding and I say Instagram Facebook <laughs> Facebook yeah. adding uh, multiple logins on Instagram and I know you and I I don't know I don't big even know big sigh of relief here. on marketers everywhere big. And, I have relief. Now, right now, you're only you're only allowed five logins. You're only allowed five. Uh, I am. I currently am. I think maxed out at all five. Uh, so I'm using it for my clients, and then I have my personal account in there. But my question to you is, and somebody, it might have been you, it might have been someone else who made this comment that by Instagram doing that it just means we're going it's easier for people to go in and spam and you know create this like cyclical like like farm basically i'm going to go like my own content i'm going the thing is i don't think it works that way but what what are your thoughts on that before i i go further uh so that was exactly my first reaction was um now it just enables all of these spammy posters to spam it up on five accounts instead of one um, so I'm a little worried about that. However, as a marketer, and again, I, I love the platform because it's a great platform for sharing great photos. But as a marketer, we always think, oh, this is our marketing platform. Well, it's really not a marketing platform. It's a, it's a photo sharing platform. But by catering to marketers and creating the ability for marketers to post to multiple accounts and spam it up, I, I think takes away a little bit. It's a win for Instagram though, because it certainly will lead to more advertising. So that that's a win for Instagram. It does make life easier for people with multiple accounts. It is a, a feature that that's valuable to many of the users. Um, so overall, I, I give it a thumbs up, but I am a little bit cautious about you know the fact that it does enable people to do more spamming. Um, the, the side note, and uh, I think KP Kelly and I kind of uh, joked about it on Facebook, you're going to see more Finsta accounts. Now, you know what a Finsta account is, Vincenzo? I've never heard of a Finsta account. So a Finsta account, and I learned this from my students, uh, a Finsta is a fake Instagram account that you create. It's not actually fake because it really is you, but you only want to share it like with a couple of people, not with all the people you're connected with on Instagram. So if you have something that you don't want to share with everybody, but you might want to share with a couple of people, you create a Finsta account and you post pictures there. Uh, that is a little intriguing, uh, but I think it's kind of meaningless to... All right, so I guess I have my own public. Finsta accounts then. I do have a Finsta account. I created one for my dog <laughs> that I don't, I don't use, and I created another one, a travel one, that I will rem it will remain... Uh, anonymous i don't want anyone to know it's not well, I see, and i think that's a good use for for multiple accounts is if you travel a lot and your regular um photos that you share is on you know particular topic and 
and you want to have a separate account for just travel photos, I think that's a great way to use the multiple accounts. So here's the thing. A lot, and, and again, for those listening, we are watching a live chat uh, here in this video recording. And there's some saying that, um, you know, make, making sure, it, and I'll drop your name here. Jen Mitch says that there was a, uh, she doesn't want to see another Twitter Chrysler uh, situation where the person handling the account tweeted something of his own, whereas he was, uh, was forgetting to switch. He had done it on on you know Chrysler's account and not on his own. Uh, I think that's that's you know, for sure going to happen. I think that's going to happen on Instagram, and it's going to be funny to see it. Um, nice little uh, nice little fumble there, but yeah, of course, you know you can't prevent stupid like Brian Fanzo says, and 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 there's there's so many things that we can do here. I just think it's a great. It's it's a great opportunity for community managers to, or not even an opportunity. It's a great thing for community managers to have that now they can run from their phone. But you know what else it does too? It allows us to be more connected to our phones, and this is what Instagram does, right? Now they're going to keep more brands here. I think it helps the small business a lot too, because now you can be on here and you can be logged into maybe multiple accounts, your personal and your business, and you don't have to worry about switching. I know that a lot of small businesses that I consult with. Uh, they always complain, oh, well, Instagram, I have to log in and out and blah, blah, blah. And they're just like, well, I, I don't want to do it. I, I just don't want to be bothered with that. So they post everything to their personal account. And then their personal account becomes like this mashup of their kids and their business. And you don't really know what they're doing. So this is good for them. And I'm going to pitch it as a small business thing. It's a, it's a win for small business. Props for that. But um, you know, the big brands always have the money to figure it out anyway. There are tools, and I do have some tools, some scheduling tools for Instagram that work very, very well. And um, But this allows you to use the native app, which is really good. Now, what I wonder is, this is my thought on that. Will Instagram start putting more weight on those that use the platform natively rather than using some other um what's it called some other platforms like i said i use some platforms to schedule for some clients so will they put more weight like facebook has already done facebook's already put more weight on native uploaded content especially video now um i've seen and i've seen this a ton i've actually really really broken it down anything that i post natively in facebook on my clients pages gets way more interaction, way more engagement than anything that's posted through some, you know, third party. So that begs to, that begs me to question whether Instagram will do the same thing because they want to keep people off of any third parties. And if they do that, honestly, Instagram is the perfect perfect place uh, to do that on because you have yeah. to be this it has to be real time. It want you know, you want it to be real content. You want it to be something that is um, engaging and and i, I do like how can. they've stuck to their guns in terms of of keeping that um on the platform making sure that the scheduling tools they can queue it up but when you actually post it you've got to physically go in there log into your account and and post it so um i i hope they stick to their guns on that um and i, I think it I think it's contributed to good content. The only thing that would benefit would be the people who post like five pictures all at once. You could schedule those out, right? To, to break it up a little bit. That would be nice. Um, but 
I think the trade-off, I think it's worth the trade-off to keep people manually doing it. Although it's frustrating for me as somebody who publishes four photos a day, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to to do. And um, man, it'd be nice to schedule it, but I, I think the content and Facebook- uh, benefits from, from not doing that. Well, here's the thing. So any platform, well, the platforms I use, Instagram, or Facebook and Twitter, they both offer scheduling. And Twitter does offer it natively. You just have to know where to look for it. They don't they don't advertise it as such. It's in the ads area. You don't have to pay for it, but it's in the ads section. So you have to go into your Twitter ads. They want you to click through to the ad section. So hopefully you go and, and uh, access the ads. But you can do it without paying and you can actually schedule on Twitter. Facebook has their scheduling. And Facebook Scheduler is awesome. I thoroughly enjoy using Business Manager for my clients. I will continue to use Business Manager. It was a question that came up the other day. Somebody said, what do you use for third party to post on Facebook? And I said, I just use Business Manager because it gives me the best uh, engagement. And I see a tremendous difference when I use Facebook. So Instagram, that's one thing they could add. If they add uh, scheduling... That would be like the end all be all. So they have to figure out a way, and there's it has to be available. And I understand people are like, well, it's real time. It's really not real time though. Here's the thing with with Instagram, you need to find there's a there's times that work, and for me, it's that eight to ten a.m. and it's eight to ten p.m. really that work. Things in the middle of the day, people are working. I find that Instagram doesn't get as much traction. But anyway, that's for me. That's a personal thing. I'm going to drop it right there. I know that we had one other topic we want to talk about before we go into our group segment of the show where we're going to let some people jump in and talk about the topics at hand. Uh, Jed, uh, you want me to take it away? Yeah, let's, let's talk about this case study that you found. Cool. I think it's really intriguing, and I think it's a great example of – of how social media can be a lot more than just uh, a marketing or selling platform. Yeah, so uh, I looked up in the um, – I, I like to read the American Marketing Association, uh, and their February issue had a case study of how Clorox used social media to curb flu season. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting topic. Let me click on that. And so for the 2015 to 2016 flu season, here was the goal. I'll read this to you. It says some of the most effective marketing campaigns not only – tout product benefits or have an emotional hook, but also help customers solve a problem. Marketers at the Oakland, California-based Clorox company were trying to do just that when they set out to help people ward off the aches and pains of the cold and flu virus. Um, and over the past years, they uh, Clorox had tracked the spread of the flu internally via social media mentions and CDC data, which I think is genius. And they provided that data to retailers to help them determine the levels of product stock for Clorox disinfecting wipes and cleaning products. And so for the 2015-2016 flu season, they wanted to use that data for a customer-facing marketing campaign. Um, Okay, so what does all that mean? Anyway, I think it was genius, right? What does it all mean? They Clorox was trying to actually ward off the flu by bringing awareness to it through social media. And they've been tracking data. And so Jed and I were talking about – I'll let Jed – you you say what you said. I don't want to talk for you because you made a comment and I was like, that's so true. Um, yeah, so this struck me in, in a number of ways that um, – how important it is for us to continue this because uh, – or, or to 
to share case studies and stories like this because um, our clients come to us um, and, and I see people, uh, you know, on Blab and, and on podcasts always, you know, talking about what's the best time to tweet or top five tips on how to convince somebody to click through on your email. And here we see a company that's doing something to ward off the flu, to help improve lives. Um, and yeah, they're doing it for financial benefit as well. But the interesting thing to me was their measured benefit wasn't a marketing benefit as much as it was supply chain. So they were improving the supply chain, not only for their product delivery, but for the retailers who are their customers. Um, it's just a win-win all around. Mm. And um, and I just really like it. Just It made me feel good about um, the opportunities that exist on social that we haven't tapped into enough of yet. Yeah, so I um, dropped- Because that was a win-win-win. They win by um, selling more product or, or at least managing the, the product flow better. Their customers who are retailers win because they get inventory levels that match demand. And the customers win because they get more info about the flu and, and better uh, knowledge on what to buy, when to buy. And so they benefit from hopefully uh, fewer customers getting the flu. So triple win on that one. I loved reading the story. Yeah. And uh, what was uh, really interesting too is so I, I dropped the link for everyone else to check it out. This uh, cold and flu pulse, they used Twitter to find where like the country, you know, where the hot spots were for the flu and, you know, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, shocker, the three biggest cities in the country were the biggest flu, uh, you know, where the flu had broke out. But they also were, uh, they also showed how many tweets were tweeted about flu season, the cities, uh, emotions, symptoms, like anything like that. They were tracking all this stuff. So it, it was just really cool. And I know that Jed and I were talking ahead of this and we said, you know, wow, finally someone – and not finally. I say like I say this as if no one else has ever used social for good. But finally there's a brand that's not just jamming shit down my throat. They're actually trying to do something good with their product because they know that, hey, using these products, helping clean surfaces and cleaning your hands and whatnot, those are important. So they And the thing is all the research that went into it. I mean there was a line here. Clorox worked with business intelligence and data analytics firm Bottlenose and critical mass to launch Clorox Cold and Flu Pulse, which I dropped a link there, a system that analyzes social media conversations about the cold and flu and tracks what's happening with the virus, including topics being discussed and cities where it's trending, and analyzes millions of tweets in real times. Like, this is cool stuff. This is great And stuff. again, that goes right back to where we started, uh, Enzo, with um, companies purchasing access to the raw data that Twitter provides. Um the, this couldn't have been done without that access to that data. So um, that's what Twitter is talking about in terms of their um, three-tier revenue model is by providing firms access to this data. And I love the fact that we've discovered a real creative way to use it. And I think there's just endless possibilities to use this data for good, like in this case. And And I really hope that by us sharing this here, uh, we encourage everybody in the listening audience to think of new ways that they can use Twitter and, and social media in general to not only win for your client or for your business, but to win all the way around for for the customers, for your audiences, 
um, and, and think of new innovative ways uh, to use social media beyond just getting your pitch across. So. I'll leave you with these last two um, thoughts from the article. It said, by analyzing tweets, Clorox find that, that people often tweet about binge-watching Netflix when they have the flu, that flu cases spike around the holidays, that exercise correlates to higher flu rates, and that when people tweet about staying late at work, they're more likely to tweet about having the flu the next week. Clorox uses that data to create content for its social media platforms and articles for its websites, including five annoying sick days that everyone hates taking and five healthy habits for avoiding the flu. We narrowed it down to the top 100 hashtags and pulled out major themes. I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? And then at the end here, um, they added, it's a perfect fit with the brand. This initiative does a nice job of deepening the link between Clorox and flu prevention It's a great example of content marketing, building things that aren't direct advertisements, but build equity for the brand. When people think about preventing the flu, they think about Clorox. So I'm going to leave that. I'm just going to leave that thought out there. I want to know what you think. This goes for the live audience here because we're going to open up some seats, but also for the audience listening. Let me know what you think. Tweet at me at Vincenzo Landino or Snapchat Vincenzo Landino. Landino on the snaps. You can also find my co-host Jed Record at Jed Record on Twitter and Jed Record on Snapchat because he loves the snap just as much as I do. And until tomorrow, ciao. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to BrandBoostCast.com forward slash subscribe.